Jesus came to abolish religion? What? God called religious people whores? Come on. And yet you heard him make a statement that both Luke and Matthew tell us that religious people said about Jesus, they called him a glutton and a drunkard. Come on now. What is this? Jesus religion. Let me ask you this. What's the most important thing in your life? Is it your church way, you know, what you maybe grew up and and for years have become comfortable with? Or is it Jesus and what he might want to do? If you have your copy of God's Word, your Bible, I'd like you to open it to the Gospel of Luke. Now, that's the back part of your Bible. Okay, you got the Old Testament, the front part. Then you got the back part, the New Testament. And the New Testament begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you can't find Luke, the best thing to do, I got a paper clip in my, in my uh, table of contents and tells me what page number. Just look there in your table of contents and find the page number. But I'd like you to open your Bible to Luke, the 11th chapter. Okay, Luke, the 11th chapter. And that's where we're going to begin this morning, okay? But before we do, I want to invite you, after our service, okay, we will take face down after the sermon. After we take face down, then we'll have a business session, and I invite you to stay for that. Now, only members of Connection can vote in the business session. And to be a member of Connection, you had to go through first impression, and you had to sign a covenant. It's the only way to become a member. I mean, I said first impression, first step. First step explains our relationship with God, our relationship with the culture, and our relationship with each other. And we do not want anybody to say they're a member connection that doesn't have agreement with what our position is in regards to God, in regards to how we're going to relate to the culture, and our relationship to each other. And then the covenant just says, man, I agree to those things. And if you haven't done that, you can't vote. But you can stay for the business session because many of you are connection people. You give yourselves to help set up. You come way early. You unload things. You just haven't made that commitment toward membership. And by all means, you can stay at the business session. You can hear the questions. You can hear the explanations. And then you can hear the result of the vote. And I invite you to stay, okay, because you are important to what our Lord Jesus Christ is doing through a people called connection so i welcome you to stay what i'll do i'll give you after we do face down i'll see if there's a question then we'll have prayer i'll give you five ten minutes and go to the restroom if you got children you have to go get them bring them back so those people can come and be a part of the business session and uh, then we'll take care of business so just be prepared for that and i won't have to explain all that later okay so let's look we got luke's gospel the 11th chapter the 37th verse now understand we've spent since Easter of this year in Luke's gospel and only got to 11th chapter. We'll probably spend all of 2013 in Luke's gospel. I'm just imagining, okay? And uh, I'm trying to hurry along. Some of you say, yeah, boy, you're not hurrying very fast. Well, you know, there's a turtle and a hare, and I'm not the hare. I'm the turtle. But I do want you to get an understanding of Luke's gospel. We're looking at Luke's gospel because Luke wrote it 29 years after Jesus left this earth and went back to be with the Father. It's a very current 
biography about Jesus. Luke did not walk with Jesus. Luke did not talk with Jesus. Luke tells us in the first chapter, verses 2 and 3, I believe it is, why he wrote the book. He, a man by the name of Theophilus has asked him to go and investigate what Theophilus has heard and apparently put his faith in about Jesus. And Luke says, I'm carefully investigating the truths that we have heard so that you may know they are true. And so uh, we're looking at this. That means Luke probably went and talked to Mary. Luke probably went and talked to shepherds in the fields when the angels told them that Jesus was being born in Bethlehem. Luke went and talked to people who were healed. Luke went and investigated these things. He was traveling around checking this out. And what you got to know about Luke is Luke is a man of intelligence. Luke is a man of science. Luke is a medical doctor. Luke apparently is being subsidized by Theophilus to make this trip. And so Luke would ask those important questions. You know, today somebody says, you really believe that happened, what the Bible says? You think Jesus did that? You think deaf people started speaking? Luke is writing back to Theophilus, and he's saying, I checked it out. I talked to people, either to people involved or people who knew the people involved. Folks, we are looking at Luke because he is telling us he went and he found out to be sure what he could discover was the truth, and he's writing it. And we like to talk about Paul, who wrote a great part of the New Testament. If you put all Luke's words together and his verses, they didn't write in verses. That came later in chapters. Luke wrote more than Paul did when you put Luke and Acts together. Very important, okay? So I'm going to be looking at that this morning. I want you to follow me in your Bibles. Again, I'll say if you don't have a Bible, we put New Testaments out here on this table when you come in. You can grab one of those and keep it and bring it each week because I'm going to ask you sometimes to circle or underline things because I want you to look later this week at the message map. You've got a message map there, the handout that was given to you. Let me pull it out here. I was going to say something about that brochure. And there's a page with blanks on it. I want you to be ready to fill that out. You can take the scriptures. You can take those blanks. You can reread this and let God speak to you about what he is using Luke to tell us about. So you gain more than just Sunday morning sermon. Because most of you, probably after dessert, will not remember 90% of what I said. Okay? You'll remember what you had for lunch, but you'll forget what you ate here. And so we want you to get into the Word. Now, if you don't have your Bibles, or if you do have your Bibles, we'll have the words on the screen. I'm using the New Living Translation. You know, I tell you this about every six weeks. I'm using the New Living Translation. I use it. Not because I think it's the best study translation, but I think it's the easiest for people to understand who aren't used to reading the Bible or who do not carry a Bible. And so I am reading from the New Living Translation, so it may sound a little bit different from yours if you're used to a different translation. Okay? So let's get started. Luke, the 11th chapter. We've already covered the first part of the chapter. In the first part of the chapter, Luke talks about prayer. I told you I thought maybe that was the most important sermon Okay, and I know other things he says about Jesus are important, and I'll probably say that about something else down the road. But I think a lot of people try to talk to God, and they get nowhere. And remember, I told you that Luke shared with us that Jesus said, why most folks don't have prayer power is because they don't forgive. They just don't forgive. And you can talk to God all you want. And Jesus said, man, if you're carrying that harbor and ill feeling toward people, it's a hindrance. Now, he talked about that prayer power. And then last week, 
we talked about demonic influence. I told you I thought it was an important service or sermon because we all struggle with trying to live as our Lord Jesus would want us to live. And there is so much demonic influence. See, we, we get caught up. You remember last week I said the media makes us afraid to think about demons and demonic influence. And it's nothing like that. The media just misrepresents it. But demonic influence is real. Don't want to re-preach that sermon. There'll be times down the road he'll bring it up a little bit more, a few more times. Luke's brought it up about three or four times already. I've touched on a little bit every time. But demonic influence is real. And if you don't realize that, you don't know why you struggle the way you struggle often. And you don't know how to deal with it. Jesus talked to us about that. And today, look, talked about talking to the Father, how special that was, just regular conversation. Now, don't let it be hindered by harboring ill feelings, not willing to forgive your uncle, your aunt, that person who caused you to lose your promotion, that person who fired you, that person who touched you inappropriately, your dad who abandoned you, whatever it was. And then Jesus said, now I want to tell you you're struggling because there's demonic influences in this world. Today he talks about the religious influence from its negative position. And you've heard me say, if you've been involved in connection, religion corrupts. Religion corrupts. It always has. It's been the history of the world. Group of people get caught up in faith and what God wants. They organize, they institutionalize, and then they traditionalize. And their customs is what they say is the way we ought to do it. Religion, Jesus tells us, is a problem. So let's look there at the 37th verse is where we join the 11th chapter. See if we can get through the entire chapter. 37th verse says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees, now Pharisee, that's just an established religious person. I could go into a lot of detail on that, just what you understand. A Pharisee represents somebody who has been involved in faith relationship with God for a number of years. Okay, I didn't say Jesus, faith relationship with God. It's an established religion, religious person. Says the Pharisee invited Jesus home for a meal, and so he went in and took his place at the table. Verse 38 says, his host, that's the Pharisee, was amazed. Now, just a little bit before in this chapter, the people were amazed because Jesus showed him how to have victory over demons. This guy's not amazed because of Jesus' power. That's what it says. The host was amazed to see that Jesus sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. Don't want to take a lot of time in this because I want to get the application. Hand-washing ceremony just dealt that they felt they might have touched something unclean, and then they're going to eat, and they're going to get it in their body. And so the Jewish custom, the religious custom, was to wash your hands, which isn't a bad practice, okay? But Jesus didn't do it. And so instead of the person realizing, I mean, he invited Jesus into his home. Everybody knew about Jesus, okay? Jesus has left Galilee where he spent much of his time. He's headed toward Jerusalem. This is on his way to Jerusalem. Okay, this Pharisee says, hey, I want to invite you into my home. He knows Jesus is an important person. And what's he do? He says, wait a minute. He didn't wash his hands. You see, religious people are always concerned with tradition. Religious people like to say, but that's not the way we have done it. That's not the way we're used to do it. Religious people, in a sense, become condescending toward people who do not do it like them. Religious people say, you know, we've got to do it this way, not that way. Religious people like to say, you can't pierce your body. 
That, that's not the way we believe it is. Religious people like to say, you got to have funeral dinners. You see, that's our tradition. Religious people say, you know, you can't be a church and, and worship God unless you wear certain kind of clothes. You can't come in shorts and flip-flops. Religious people like to say, no, no, body art, no tattoos. Uh-uh, you can't have that. Religious people like to say, that's not the way we're used to doing it. Okay? See, religious people end up getting caught up with the ways they do. We, we, call, we call what we take as communion, or depending on what kind of background you have, you may call it Lord's Supper, you may call it Eucharist, we call it face down. I've had a couple people in Mount Vernon say, that's not what you're supposed to call it. They don't even understand why we call it face down. That, in a sense, emotionally, mentally, we're falling face down before God because of what Jesus has done for us. One person asked, do you people really fall down on your face? Yeah. You ought to come and see it. No, we don't. You see, that's not the way we do it. It's got to be called Eucharist. It's got to be called communion. It's got to be called the Lord's Supper. See, people, people get caught up in their tradition. This guy is caught up in his tradition. And you know what he's deciding? Listen, religious people decide these kinds of things. This guy's deciding Jesus isn't doing it correctly. Can you believe that? Religious people like to decide certain things are unholy simply because it's not the way we do it. Simply because it's not the way we do it. If you've got your message map, look at the first blank. I want you to fill it in. The words are on the screen that you put in there. If you only look at the external of a person, then you will not get to know the internal. Okay? It is the internal that clearly describes the real person. Get to know a person's heart before you decide about the person. See, we've got to be careful. Religion tends to say, will they look like us if they come? Will they behave like us? Will they act like us? Will they do our traditions? And if, boy, if you have, you, you caught up in that and somebody comes in out that way, all of a sudden you got a problem on your hands because that's not the way we do it. Don't get to know the person's heart. Just look at the external and make judgments. Well, he goes on. Look at 39. Then the Lord said to him, now see, Jesus knows what's going on. Remember, he's the creator, okay? So he says to him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and dish but inside, look, man, he, 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 you are, look what he says, you are filthy. Now, if you mark in your Bibles, circle the next five words so you, when you read this in six months, you'll say, why did Mike have me to circle this? And you'll catch the understanding here. Jesus calls this religious experience of being caught in church ways or religious traditions, he says, you are filthy, full of greed and wickedness. Now, why is religion full of greed and wickedness why are jesus associating this religious man with wickedness and greed because you see if i'm caught up in traditions and not jesus i become wicked because i say it can only be done my way makes no difference if the bible doesn't give any indication about it it makes no difference what jesus example is it's what i am used to it's what i learned from my parents it's what i've learned from the people I hung around with and it's wicked because what it becomes, now listen to me, it becomes, I become a slave to self-preference. Self-preference means it's what I want. I'm sorry, it's what I want. I've told you before, we've had people go through first step, and when they find out 
when they find out things like, we don't vote on anything but purchase of property and lead pastor. They don't like that. They want to know all the details. And so they quit coming. We've had people come three or four months. Once they go through first step, they stop. You see, they stop because we're not their church that they used to. And I don't, I don't condescend. When they tell me that, I say, that's okay. There's a church out there. Find it. But you see, it's wicked because we become a slave to self-preference. It's not Jesus being Lord. It's not really what God's will is. It's the preference of myself. It's, it's my will. It's what I want. And folks, that's wickedness. That's wickedness. That's putting religion over Jesus. And it's greed because, you see, greed is always to get more of what you want. And religion tends to tell us, I've been coming to this church for a long time. I ought to have some say in what's going on around here. Greed, I want power. You know, they ought to do it the way I think. I ought to be comfortable around here. Greed wants it my way. Greed wants more. I'm going to tell you. It's all about Jesus, all about introducing people to Jesus, all about getting people to follow Jesus, to live and love like Jesus. And so you see, Jesus is trying to tell his Pharisee, man, this is filthy what you're doing. Now, there's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with washing your hands. There's nothing wrong with calling communion or Lord's Supper or Eucharist or face down. You know, some people don't like, because usually it comes out of the more ritualistic religions, the word Eucharist. Some of you never even heard that. And you talk to some people, and they'll say, man, those people are weird. See? There's nothing wrong with those things. What is wrong when it's my way or the highway. What's wrong when it's my way and I don't sense Jesus' way? And that's what he's trying to tell them. Now look at 40. Look what he says. Fools. This is in your face, folks. This is in your face. Jesus is not being kind here. Okay? Jesus is not being kind. Jesus says you can always tell the children of God they enter conflict to bring peace. Doesn't say they run away from conflict to keep peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus left the place of peace, the relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he came to a place of conflict, this earth. He entered your experience and my experience because he wanted to bring peace. And in his day, and it's always been here through the history of mankind with religion, Religion creates conflict. Most of the world that doesn't go to church, they know about the church. The church always fights. Those people can't get along. And Jesus says, fools. Look what he says. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? In other words, be concerned with what's going on inside you instead of just my hands. Be concerned whether my heart's right, not just my fingers. Now he goes on. So clean the inside. Now how do you clean the inside? By giving gifts to the poor and you will clean all over. Now we only think gifts to the poor means somebody needs a handout. The poor is much more. Some of you, some of you listen. You've got a child whose heart's been crushed because you took a position as parent. And God has tried to melt your heart so that you'd say, listen, I want you to know I shouldn't have said those words to you 15 years ago or five years ago or five days ago. Now, you need to hear what I'm saying, but I shouldn't have said it the way I said it. And I'm so sorry because your child's poor. 
Some of you mates, you need to go to your mate and you need to say, listen, I'm willing in the name of Jesus to move beyond what you did. You see, because your mate's poor, they want that relationship with you. You're the one that keeps intimacy from continuing. Some of you need to go to work tomorrow and you need to begin doing something kind. You need to bless that person at work that cursed you. Jesus said that earlier in Luke. See, because that person's poor, they need your kindness. He says, you want to know how to know a person's working on the inside? They're always getting involved with people who need to sense God's love. You just need to live like Jesus. That's what's seen on the outward. Look at 42. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now, he's not putting tithing down. If I was talking about tithing, Jesus said tithe. It was in his practice. He didn't have to talk up to people, the Jewish people, to tithe. They did. But he's saying, you know what? You're paying attention to what has become a custom, but you're forgetting the more important things, the things that deal on the inside. You see, you can drop so much money in your offering, but how does your mate feel? You can put so much money in the offering, but have you cleaned before God? See, it's what's going on on the inside. Are you showing justice to the people whose race is different than yours? Are you being, are you being kind toward the man who is president of the United States? You don't agree with his policy, but do you realize that God told us we are to honor civil authority? Every time you say something derogatory down about the president, you have broke God's law. You see, what's going on inside? Some of you are saying right now, I don't like that. Read Facebook. People I love, people I care about, say some of the most derogatory things. I'm still going to love them and care about them. But I'm more concerned about the inside. Jesus says, you Pharisees ought to be concerned what's going on the inside. Look at 43. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? You see, that's not going to bring good life to you guys. Of course, Isaiah said it this way. Isaiah 5.21, I almost want to ask, is there anybody who can quote Isaiah 5.21, but you wouldn't hear them, because there's a number of people who know that verse. He says, what sorrow, those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. That's the Pharisee, the religious people. Religious people always think they're smarter than the non-religious people. He says, what sorrow waits you Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues. In other words, you got your place in the church, and you walk through the door, everybody knows, man, you're an important individual and receive respectful greetings as you walk into the marketplaces. Listen, we all should always give respectful greetings. Us guys should always be respecting ladies, whether those ladies are little or big, whether they're young or old. You should always be respecting people who are older than you. That's all New Testament teaching, folks. Younger ladies ought to respect older ladies. Younger men ought to respect older men. Now, you look at that. You, you watch in society. That's not the way of our culture. Old man, get out of my way. You be different. Old man, you want to go first? See, he's just trying to tell us that religious people, they want it their way. They want to be respected. Religious people like to say this. You know, I love God. Look at me. Religious people like to say, I go to church, I give my money, look at me. Religious people like to say, I don't kill anybody, look at me. See, religious people always want us to look at them based upon that they are doing their traditions. 
based upon their doing their church ways. When Jesus is trying to say, but what's going on inside you, guy? What's going on inside you, gal? Religious people, they like to say, you know what? I don't dance. I'm a good person of God. And so what happens? Religion begins making rules. Do you realize, even today, there are some Christian people, people who call Jesus Christ the Lord, that the men can't sit in worship with the ladies. They have to be separated. Because you see, if a man sits by a woman, it's not his wife. He's liable to lust. And they would think what we're doing right now is not correct. And there are some people who say Christians can't dance. See, religious people tend to make their laws and they like to say, if you live according to our laws, you're okay. It has nothing to deal with the inside. It has everything to deal with the outside. I mean, come on. You heard this guy say, being a Christian, being a Republican does not mean you're a Christian. There's some people who don't believe you. If you claim any kind of relationship with a Democrat, you can't be a Christian. See, that's what, that's what religion does to us. It polarizes us. It separates us. And the sorrow is that inside, religious people, they might want to serve God, but they end up, now listen to what I told you, they become a slave to self-preference, and all they do is serve themselves and other people who see it as they see it. Look at 44. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in the field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they are stepping on. The sorrow of religious people is you're not full of life. Listen, folks, you're full of death. People meet you and they don't even realize that until you start spouting your religious ways. Not your relationship with Jesus. We should talk about that all the time. Why do you act? Why did you say thank me? Thank you. Why did you say, hey, I'm sorry I did that? Why do you say you forgive me? Why do you say that's okay? You made a mistake. Hey, we can get by that. And you tell them, because you see, I met a person named Jesus Christ, and he has totally transformed me in the way he's got me thinking. You see, religious people, they can't do that. Because you see, they're dead inside. And people who associate with religious people, if they get to know them, they soon discover they're really not people of life. They're people who their end is just nothing but narrowness and closeness, not openness. He goes on, look at 45. Look what happens. So, see, he's talking to this Pharisee, now a teacher. Teacher, said an expert in the religious law. The expert is a person who's supposed to be able to tell people, explain people. He's supposed to be a teacher. So Jesus has talked to the Pharisee, which is a religious person. Now we've got another religious person going to join in this talk. Man, I feel so sorry for Jesus. All he's doing is loving people. But look, teacher, 45, said an expert in religious law. You have been so kind to us, given us great insight. You have insulted us. Teacher said an expert in religious law. You have insulted us too. Not just the Pharisee in what you just said. That indicates that Jesus' words, listen, as Luke, and Luke wouldn't have been there. When Luke heard these people tell him about that, he hears it. They're saying, man, Jesus was in their face. You could see him, boy, they looked like thermometer bubbles ready to burst. See, this guy saying, you've insulted us too. He says, he, he goes on, 
He says, or go 46, yes, said Jesus. What sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. Jesus doesn't lit up. He does not lit up. He keeps applying the truth of God. And that's hard. That's hard. That's why, listen, missional churches are springing up all across America in the last 30 years and now across the world, and the traditional church is having trouble with them because they don't do church ways. It's not traditions they hold to. It's living like Jesus, loving like Jesus. It's holding themselves accountable to Jesus. Religious people are saying to Jesus, Jesus, don't say what you're saying to us. It's hurting us. See, this is real stuff. And Jesus says, yes. And what's our weights? You experts in religious law. Look what he says, for you crush people with impossible religious demands and you never lift a finger to ease the burdens. Look, this world is hurting. Somebody says, you know, I don't know how to witness. I don't know who to witness to. I don't know who to talk to. Listen, the person you work beside is most likely hurting. The person you're going to see if you go out and eat for lunch is most likely hurting. People in your family are probably hurting. And religion tends to bully people by tradition and make them feel worse. Do you hear me? That's crushing people, bullying them. You see, look at us. We're religious people. We've been to church today. We give our money. We pray. But when we meet hurting people, we crush them. Because, you see, we don't look for a way to help them, to make them feel kind. That's why you've got to watch your words, the words you put over the Internet, the words you say. You've got to watch those words because we tend to think we know. And some of you are saying, well, I'm not that way with my religion. Maybe not with religion that's called Baptist or Lutheran or Catholic or, or, or missional. But are you way that way with religion called self? And you're just a big bully. Just be honest. You're just a big bully. That's all you are. Because you're a slave to your self-preference. Can you understand why they want to kill Jesus? Because he's in their face. And I got a feeling maybe something I'm saying here, some of you are saying, oh, no, I don't need to hear that. They didn't like what he was saying. Do you? Let's go on, 47. What sorrow awaits you, for you build monuments for the prophets of your own, your, the prophets your own ancestors killed long ago. In other words, you build monuments to those prophets that the people who are your family members killed. But in fact, you stand as witnesses who agree with what your ancestors did by their action. They're agreeing religious way is more important than what God wants and what he said through the prophets. They killed the prophets, and you join in their crime by building their, the monuments this is what God in his wisdom said about you. I will send prophets and apostles to them, but they will kill some and persecute others. In other words, your ancestors killed prophets, killed people God had sent to speak God's word to them because they didn't want to hear it. It didn't fit into what they wanted to do, their self-preference, and they were a slave to that. And you know what? You build monuments now to those prophets, but you, you join in like the ancestors. You refuse to hear what God is saying about your inside because you're only concerned about what you look like and how you do. Let's be honest. Some of you probably would say, if connection makes a certain decision, I'm not coming anymore. It's all outside. You won't even investigate why connection would make that decision. And that's okay. 
There's a church out there for you with a lot of people just like that. And you'll probably have a jolly good time if you go join them. Well, somebody knows that's not true. Look, he goes on in 50. As a result, this generation will be held responsible for the murder of all God's prophets from the creation of the world, from the murder of Abel. In other words, he says, listen, God doesn't overlook the way people who say they love God act. He doesn't even overlook what Cain did. You see, Cain didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. Abel did what God wanted him to do. He didn't time to explain all that. And so Cain killed Abel. That's what he's saying. From even Cain and Abel. Because you just don't want to do what God wants you to do. You see, it's, remember, it all started because Jesus wouldn't wash his hands. Remember? It, it, it's not all about what's in your hand and how dirty your hand is. It's all about what's in your heart. It's all about, are you allowing this to be cleaned by God? That's what it's all about. He goes on, verse uh, 51. So the mur- to the murder of Zechariah, from Abel to the murder of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. And if we look back and we read the story of Zechariah, we'd see all Zechariah did was tell the people how God wanted them to live, and they couldn't stand it, so they stoned him to death. They stoned him. Don't want to hear what God's got to say. And Jesus is just calling attention to that. And you see, they can identify that. They know that. It's sort of like, it's sort of like what you like to keep in the closet about the family. You don't want to get it out. Jesus is getting out in the, closet, out in the open. You following with me? And they don't like that. They don't like that. He says, yes, it will certainly be charged against this generation. Now, I want you to understand something. It's easy for me to preach this sermon to you. Okay? I say, we're not going to be that way. But you see, I'm not accountable for we're not going to be that way except as your spiritual leader. I'm accountable. Will I be that way? Will I be that way? See? I'm accountable for am I dealing with what's going on inside or do I just look good on the outside? Look at the next blank in your message map. Fill in that blank or two blanks there. I wrote down each generation is accountable for what they do with what God tells them. They will be accountable to how they respond to what Jesus is telling them. And you are. See, you're not free. You're here this morning. You're accountable now on what's going on in there. If you haven't heard it before from God, you've heard it this morning. You're accountable with how the inside is behaving. Look at verse 52. What sorrow awaits you experts in religious law for you remove the key to knowledge from the people? And all he's trying to say is there, key to knowledge is telling what God wants. You're giving the wrong information. You're giving the wrong information. Look, I, I can remember back whenever I was caught up in the traditional church and you wore a tie and coat and, and my oldest daughter was dating a guy and, and for Christmas we bought him a nice sports coat, dress pants, dress shoes, white shirt, tie. You see, because if you came to our church way back then, okay, a few decades ago, everybody wore a tie and the girls come in a dress and all that. And so he was just, he got saved and he was really growing and getting involved. Still our friend today, but we want to help him dress like us. You see, that, well, that's what we tend to do. We tend, we tend to make the key if you can look on the outside. And so people who receive Jesus, what do they start doing? They start trying to look like you and I on the outside when they should start wanting to be like us on the inside. But if we only talk about outside and not inside, that's all they know. And Jesus says, man, you're, you're holding the key of information from them. 
He says, you don't enter the kingdom yourself and you prevent others from entering. In other words, you don't know the influence of God in your life and you're keeping others from knowing that influence. He goes on, 53, as Jesus was leaving the teachers of religious law, look at this, and the Pharisees, they had a smile on their face. Because they become hostile and try to provoke him with many questions. In other words, they refused to let Jesus have the last word. You ever get in a, you know, just a discussion with a family member and you refuse to let them have the last word? They refuse to let you have the last word? They refuse to let Jesus have the last word. They're so upset. He has so much been in their face that they're pressing him with more questions. They don't want him to get away. They're probably saying, listen, we need to have a meeting about this. You cannot say these things and not be held accountable for what you're saying. You come back here right now, Jesus. I can just imagine that's what they're doing. Why do they do that? Because, you see, religious people want to be in control. Next week, we'll do that touch someone's life gift. Remember, we've been doing that since February where we just give our money and somebody goes and gives it away. And we said the reason we're doing that because we just want to release it to God. Religious people want to be in control. Somebody told me today they wanted to spend some hundreds of dollars for connection. And I said, now, is this for connection or this is for you going to be yours? Because I don't want it if it's for you. They said, no, they're so kind. And I told them, you're being generous. They said, no, we don't do it that way. This goes to God's church. You see, religious people want to control. They want to control. That's what they want to do. That's what these people wanted to do. Look at 54. They wanted to trap Jesus into saying something that could be used against him. See, they wanted information from Jesus. Come on, you've got to stay. I mean, you've got to answer some of our questions. We've got to get to the bottom of this. We don't like what you're saying. And they wanted to keep asking him questions so they can sort of upend him and, 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 and catch something and say, but you said it this way and that's the wrong way. You see, religious people, they, they really don't care about what God wants. What it is, is they don't want to lose control. And their control in their life is really their slavery to self-preference, not God's preference. This is serious. This is very serious, folks. Demonic influence is serious. I'm telling you, religious people are dangerous. And I've told you before, we've had about 280 years since the Great Awakenings in America. First and second Great Awakening. And the church has sprung up and praise God, many people have been come to Jesus Christ because of that. But we're the third most lost nation in the world today. Because the church has become institutionalized and religious. And we need to be missional. This is very serious what Jesus is saying. Now you can understand what Jesus said, what he said in Matthew. Look on the screen. We'll turn your Bibles because we want to finish Luke. Look on, on screen. Jesus said, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better, your righteousness, what God wants is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Look, Jesus has not been kind to these people. They are upset about it because he has pointed his finger at them. And he says, don't you even think you're going to be close to God. And you're keeping people from knowing God's love and God's compassion. Look at the last blank on your message map. Just fill it in. Jesus is trying to tell us that God is concerned with what is happening on the inside of a person. It is not about just obeying a bunch of rules. Religion says it's all about rules. Jesus is trying to say, no, it's all about God and what he wants. 
Religion says, look at us, God. We went to church today. We gave our money today. We prayed. Jesus says, no, it's all about, did you mean that on the inside? See, with religion, it's all about outward. It's all about building up the kingdom like this. With Jesus, it's all about touching the inside and building the kingdom into other people's lives. The Apostle Paul, you, 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 most of you have heard of Paul who wrote a lot of the Old New Testament. Paul, he, he turned away from killing Christians, okay, persecuting and killing Christians. Paul turned to, to serve Jesus Christ. Paul put his own life at risk. Paul wrote much of the New Testament. Paul served Jesus. He started many of the early churches because it was the right time and with the peace of Roman government. That's why Paul wrote, Obey civil government because of the peace of Roman government in the civilized world. Churches could be started. Okay? Paul did all that. But you know, Paul realized all that was just deeds, actions. I want you to look on the screen to what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. The third chapter. Now before I read it, let me tell you. Paul is in prison and most likely is going to have his head cut off. Tradition tells us he did die at the hands of the Romans after he was in prison. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about his death. Just we don't hear from him anymore. But he is in prison when he wrote to the Philippians. That we know. And Paul is evaluating his life and all that he has done. And look what he writes. I once thought these things, these things being the actions and the deeds, the work that he did, I once thought that these things were valuable Look how many times I've gone to church. I got, look at my perfect attendance pins. Look how much money I've given. See? We should be able to talk about perfect attendance. That's great. We should, we should give testimony that we give money. Our children should hear parents say, you know, we give a tithe. We give beyond a tithe. Children ought to grow up understanding that, that dollars belong to God, all of them. And He gives them to us, and we give some of them back. So we, there's no reason for us to apologize, to talk about perfect attendance, or to apologize for talking about giving money. But if those things become what we look at, they're not, they're not valuable. He says, I, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. In other words, it's because of Jesus I have a relationship with God, not because of the things I did. He says in verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless, all my effort. Okay, when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In other words, that's the faith relationship. He says, all my actions mean nothing. It's the faith relationship with Jesus. That's why, listen, I'm not more important than any of you. And you're not more important than anyone else. And how many times you heard me say, if the spiritual life is a journey like this, and, and this is the beginning, and this is when we go and die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, then, and, and we're here, or we're here, or we're here, or we're here, the person here is no more important than the person here. Matter of fact, the person here shouldn't be making this person feel crushed and bullied, but should be coming and helping. Because this person's going to fail again and again. They're going to smoke what they shouldn't smoke. They're going to drink what they shouldn't drink. They're going to say what they shouldn't do. They're going to flip their finger at people and we shouldn't say, I want nothing to do with them. We should be coming and loving those people. See? But if we're not careful, we're saying, oh, no, man, I'm up here doing these good things. If they'd only do what I'd do, they could be better. He's saying, no, all that effort's not important. It's the relationship with Christ. Now he goes on, for his sake, I have discarded everything else. In other words, Paul is saying, seeing all the good I have done, I've just cast it aside. 
And he didn't write those people as churches and try to make them feel guilty if they weren't helping him because all he did, he says, I cast it aside. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as, look what he says, garbage. If you don't understand that, let your, wrap your garbage up in a plastic bag, set it out in the sun for three days. Make sure it's in the sun. And then go out there and stick your head and pull it tight around your neck. And you say, that's garbage. He's saying, that's what all my efforts have been. And Paul, Paul, some people said, maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. Paul says, I count all that stuff as garbage. Why? So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. And I'm telling you, religious people are always saying, I do, I do, I do. And he said that. That's what that guy said on that video. And when people who are right with Christ all say, he did, he did. It's all done because of what he did, not because of what I'm doing. That's what Paul is trying to say. He goes on, obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. In other words, he says, God is looking at what's going on on the inside. He's looking at faith relationship. Listen, you're going to blow it today or tomorrow. But God knows in faith whether you turn to him and say, God, I'm sorry. And I, in Jesus is my Lord, I ask you to forgive me. God knows your faith relationship. God isn't looking for perfection from you. He is looking for people who follow Jesus in you. That's what he's looking for. That's what it's all about. And so I invite you right now to decide to follow Jesus. I invite you right now in your mind's voice to God that you say, God, I'm sorry for going my way. I know that sin, and I'm going to turn and follow Christ. I know he died on the cross for me, laid in the grave for me, rose from the dead for me, and I'm going to follow him as Lord. I invite you to do that because you see, that's why Jesus came for. It's all about you. It's not all about show. It's all about you and what's going on inside of here. And I invite you to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Now listen, the Bible tells us that one of the things we are to do when we follow Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives is we are to take the elements that he introduced his disciples to, the bread and the juice. They were eating a meal, just a regular Passover meal. And Jesus set a precedent that has become a part of the Christian church, not because the Christian church established it, because Jesus says you are to do this until I come back. That means every Christian of every generation is to take the bread and the juice. The bread represents the body of Jesus that was hung on the cross for us. And the juice represents the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. And he says, every time you take this, you are to remember what I have done. And when you take it, you are proclaiming what I did to people who see you take it. And so we're going to take face down. We're going to take the bread and the juice. And we're going to receive it. And I ask you, I invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, I invite you to take it. If you can't, that's okay, stay seated. But this is what followers of Jesus Christ are to do. And I invite you to come and take the bread and the juice. Today we will take face down in just a little bit. You know, normally we have a video or somebody up here singing. Today I'm going to change that. We're just going to have background music. And as you come, I want you to think, when you 
pull that bread off, when you dip it in that juice, when you take it, to think what Jesus has done for you. I want nothing bothering your eyes. I want you just to think about husband and wife together, mom, dad, and the child, if your child is here with you. If they are a Christian, take that with you. I want you to remember what he has done. It's all about what's going on up here. Because what he did, what he did is the most important thing that any of us can remember the days we live on this globe. I'd like those people who are going to serve just come and take your places. Let me explain what we're going to do. We're going to have a couple here and a couple here. Okay? When you feel appropriate, you just get up and come. You pull off a piece of bread. You dunk it in the juice. And you eat it, either eat it now or you take it back to your seat. But you remember what Christ did for you. And when you're done, you just go back to your seat. And we'll wait till we're all done. And when we're done, the face down is over. But I invite you to come and partake of it if you're a follower of Jesus. If you can't, for some reason, and you just remain seated. You come now as your music plays.
Do we have a question? Okay. we got two questions real quick. Let's see if the person takes much time. Again, if I don't get the questions answered, then I'll just send them to the person who receives them, and they'll text the answer back to you. But let's see here. How do you approach or should you deal with a situation where someone is acting like a Pharisee and is pushing others from Christ? People with knowledge need to be careful that they don't think they're God's axe men to go chop people up. Do you understand what I mean by that? Because you understand something in maturity doesn't mean you've got to go around trying to chop people up. They ought to be as mature as you because you could be right. If, if this person who's acting like a Pharisee is, is really hurting people, then you probably, in a tactful way, need to ask this person, can we have a soda? Or maybe you take them to... A, the, the steakhouse, and you buy them a steak dinner, and then you share with them that you have a concern. And if, you know, I'm being sort of facetious. I'm saying be very kind. And just share and say you think, and you can name the person because they would know that you've hurt Mike. You, 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 you said these kind of things. and Do you really believe that is what the Bible says we must do? See, and, and just talk. But don't try to change that person totally. It's hard. It's hard to move from our traditional ways to our missional ways. It's hard to move from evaluating my value by what I do to really what's going on inside me. And so just give time. But you might be the person, if you know this person, you have a relationship in a very kind way to help them. And then, now listen, connection people, you heard me say this again and again, don't be the Holy Spirit. You let God speak to this person. You've shared the words. They're going to be driving all alone. The Spirit of God's much more powerful. You let Him convict them of this. They're going to lay their head down at night when they go to bed. Let Him convict them of this. Don't you try to play, play the Holy Spirit. You know, well, now I talk to you, Mike. Do you agree with me? That's not important that you prove you're right. The important thing is that you might let God use you, and then His Spirit is the teacher. Let's look at the next one. If I don't agree with the president, would a good response when being approached with that kind of conversation, or wait a minute, I'm ready. if I don't agree with the president, would a good response when being approached with that kind of conversation say, I don't? I, I, am I reading this right? You're, you can say you don't agree with the president. Is that Am I reading that right, you think? Yeah, I think it's okay to say I don't agree with President Obama's uh, a position. You know, I call him Obama, but if I'm around people I know don't like him, boy, I put that president in there greatly. See? Because that's what he is. But but I don't don't ever think you got to, to lie and say I don't agree. Now, when is the right time to talk about disagreements? You know, you don't tell your children everything you disagree with when they're little. When they get older, they ought to start hearing. But too much, too much steak, a choke a baby. And so... You know, be kind, and then go buy that person a steak, okay? 
She let him know, you know, I don't like Mike Davis's political position, but boy, I sure like him as a friend. Okay? Okay. I'm going to leave some prayer. Then we're done. Listen, after the prayer, go to the bathroom, get your children, come back, business session. If, if you're not a member connection, I invite you to stay and hear the discussion. Nothing secret. I guarantee you, no fights. i got two big guys to throw anybody that's going to fight out, okay? Just kidding, okay? Let's, let's bow together. Father, thank you for this time. You know, God, more than anything, thank you for the precious word that you have made sure we have. And God, help us. Help us to hear it. And then, Father, help us to let your spirit teach it to us. And Father, then help us that through the power of your spirit, we might live it. And God, we're going to blow it at times. And when we do, convict us. Don't let Satan help us understand, not to let Satan shame and guilt us, but convict us that we would turn and come clean. Thank you, God, for being such a good God that loves us and forgives us and gives us the umpteenth chance.